on on re-listen to that absolutely that is that is a really piss poor guitar solo and there's no excuse for that I think calling it a solo makes it worse, actually. I was hoping that they're thinking of it as a background part. Welcome to yet another edition of 1001 Album Complaints, the show where old friends, lifelong musicians get together and talk about an album from Robert Dimery's seminal work, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. This week, we're going to be talking about Royksop's Melody AM. Very excited to get into this one. Totally fresh listen for me. We're going to go around the room shortly and introduce everybody. And But yeah, actually, before we do that, I'd love to just play a little music right off the bat, just to give you a vibe of what we've been dealing with this entire week. So let's just play a little snippet, the first track off of Royksop's Melody AM. It's called So Easy. Let's cue that now. Okay, so that was just a little taste of Royksop's debut album, Melody AM. And in order to introduce who's here live in the room with me for the first time ever on our dear podcast, I'd love you to introduce yourself briefly and then give us kind of an encapsulation, sort of a tweet-length overall review of this record, Melody AM. I'm going to throw it first to Tom. Hello, everybody. This is Tom, and my tweet-length review of Melody AM is... It is reminiscent to, you know how in the like 1960s they were like, we're going to have flying cars in the future. This is, for me, a vision of the future that doesn't quite live up to what I would hope the future would be, and it's also pretty damn boring. Awesome. Thank you, Tommy. And let's kick it over to James. So James here. Uh, overall, I think like the th- my main attractions to this record were it's got... Great drum sounds. It's really kind of a tour de force of production techniques. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, you know, vamping that's kind of pulled together with unusual, you know, stereo delay, what have you type stuff. From my perspective, you know, I was listening to this and thinking about electronic music production and thinking that this is a great sort of sampler of reference techniques and effects that you could use to spice things up, kind of bring some things to the foreground, bring some things to the background, kind of do a lot with, with sort of studio effects that uh, is maybe not, honestly, all that musically interesting overall, the album, but 
but they really did sort of spice it up with a lot of uh, a lot of really complex production. Thank you for that, James. And you're being a little modest here, but we should tell the audience that you are kind of the synth master in our lives. So I'm really glad you're here to talk about this one because there is a lot of electronic stuff going on, and and Tom and I in particular don't don't know a ton about that genre. But 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 last but not least, I'd like to introduce for the first time of the podcast. The first female voice on our podcast. Congratulations. Kate, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Kate. I would say that if I had to kind of encapsulate my feeling about re-listening to this album for the first time in many years, nostalgia comes to mind both in the good sense of the word and also the bad, but it sort of gives me warm, fuzzy feelings overall, even if I feel that listening now it's doesn't necessarily make me super stoked on it 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 makes me feel warm and fuzzy in the sense of hearkening back to a time when I would have been super into this album I think warm and fuzzy is a good descriptor I felt like I was taking a lukewarm bath as I was listening to this <laughs> it was sort of it's definitely yeah. definitely chill yeah um, oh, very chill laid back very chill. laid back listen yeah, I said, my tweet length review, this is Rob here, and I said, do you want to live inside a 1990s Volvo commercial for 47 minutes? If so, please continue. I thought it's more like uh, high-end sneakers, is like what I <laughs> would have brought for perhaps, you. Perhaps, perhaps. The Volvo's racist, Rob. Come on, just because they're Scandinavian. <laughs> <laughs> right, so let's get into a little background on these these two fellows in Royksop. It's It's a duo, and I'm sure I'm going to, unfortunately, butcher the pronunciations of their their names but it, it's two fellows one guy's name is Sven and the other guy's name is uh Torbjorn it's honestly like they're trying to it's like a parody of what I would make up their names to be yeah right and not only are they from they're from Norway they're Norwegian by birth but they're not just from Norway they're from deep deep northern Norway a place called Tromsø which is super rural Norway we're talking arctic circle significantly farther north than Iceland, you know, fewer than 70,000 people within a thousand kilometer radius kind of thing. So they're, 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 they're way up there. They're quite far from the, the city of, of Oslo and, and the rest of Europe, which I think is, is good context for some of the maybe strangeness that, that comes out of this, perhaps. Isn't that the environment that normally brings us like black metal? And they went completely into other way. Yeah, I think that's like church burning area. Yeah, but yeah, that sounds about right. So the, these guys, they met when they were real young, twelve or thirteen, in the early '90s, and immediately sort of realized they both had an interest in electronic music, which was, early, you know, relatively early in its in its going at that time. They liked craft work, and they bonded about that, and they quickly got their first synthesizer for their birth, you know, one of their birthdays and started messing around with it. And there was sort of a Tromso techno scene at that time that they were very loosely affiliated with, but they were still kind of teenagers. So they, they kind of drifted around for a while. And it wasn't until later they reconnected when they had kind of moved on to the big city, the big city in this case being a place called Bergen. Bergen is Norway's second largest city next to Oslo. It still only has 300,000 people in it, but they, they kind of reconnected in their early 20s or rather late teens, early 20s. And this was during a time when 
in the Norwegian music press, it was said that Bergen was this happening music scene that a lot of bands were coming out of, and Royksop was was one of those. So they kind of rode a little bit of a wave. The only other band, I'm not super familiar with Norwegian music. It wasn't all electronic, we should point out. One of the other bands I'd heard of that came out of that Bergen wave scene is a band called King, the Kings of Convenience. There's more on the folky side, but very mellow. And actually, the singer from that band makes an appearance on this record as well. And uh, maybe the last thing we should mention is their name is a reference to a, a type of mushroom. It's a Norwegian name for a, a type of mushroom found in the, in the deep forest. So yeah, take, take that for what you will. Right? Growing it on reindeer poop. and uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, this, so this record, this was their first, they had released an EP. You know, they, they'd cut a couple singles before this. But this was their major label. This was their full al- album debut. It was released on September 3rd, 2001. It ultimately sold over a million copies worldwide, so it was a, it was a pretty big success. Genre-wise, I always love debating the names of these genres. They're all kind of inherently ridiculous. Trip-hop, down-tempo, electronica. I've heard it called lounge-core. Yeah, lo- lounge-core is pretty close. I, I mean, of those. I mean, trip-hop, obviously, I think we're, you know, this is definitely kind of posthumous, right? But I think that I, I'd honestly have trouble really dredging up like 15 trip hop bands or records or whatever. I mean, bands, Down tempo probably. Down tempo electronica is, is very, very on the nose. Yeah, <laughs> definitely for this one. Lounge core is pretty good too. And to close listeners of this podcast, you might remember that we not too long ago covered Air's Moon Safari, which preceded this by a few years. They were a French band. And it's pretty clear to me that Royksop is influenced by bands like that, by that kind of wave of, of sort of chill-out music, the, the morning after or the, the after-party vibe, as opposed to the dance club itself, right? Royksop maybe is a little more dancey than, than Air, and we can maybe talk about some of those differences, but they're definitely admirers of, of those guys' work. So you mentioned that they sold over a million copies. Correct me if I'm wrong, weren't like half a million of those in the UK alone? I'm pretty sure that that was their sort of biggest market as they hit it in the UK, which, you know, the fact that the UK is what produced so many of the classic rock and roll bands in the 60s and has gone so far away from organic, acoustical, acoustic-driven music towards this electronic dance music is maybe one of the bigger turnarounds in uh, in terms of music preferences. Well, I- I've always thought, or I've always kind of heard that there are these electronic waves that are always in response to some, some more, some less, uh, how do you call it, organic wave of music, like the new wave of the 80s and all the synthesizers there was a little bit of a response to 70s arena rock and punk. And, you know, in the early 90s in Britain, you had, you had a blur, you had Oasis, you had this whole Brit uh, pop phenomenon so maybe I, I always think i was always heard about it as a reaction to some of those other movements that are happening a, a big historical note that i would make about it is that i know that jean-michel Jarre was a really instrumental figure in sort of ushering in electronic music throughout europe like that was actually a big watershed mo- moment in european sort of like appreciation of electronic music and i mean i realized that we as americans didn't really get that like we didn't really like sure I feel like I didn't I didn't have Jean-Michel Jarre stuff down my throat in the same yeah, way not and at all. definitely not. I mean, I certainly really like that music now and sort of re-listening to it. I'm a big sort of fan of his early work in particular. 
but it never occurred to me that that was kind of the seminal influence that kind of pushed Europe in the direction of electronic music sort of generally, which is... Because he was making those, his big records in the 70s? Yeah, I think like late 70s was his big, his big one, which I'm blanking on right now. Oxygen? Yeah, Oxygen, yeah. Yeah. That's... It's a great record. Well, you think about it from the standpoint of the U.S. versus European experiences. As rock and roll was getting a little bit stale, what was incubating in the underground in Europe was electronic music. What was incubating in the underground in America was hip-hop music and rap music. And that, you know, we in the U.S. went really hard on that, and that dominated the airwaves and, you know, still is dominating the airwaves to this day and has expanded to... Other countries, there's lots of interesting, you know, Japanese hip hop. There's like Korean hip hop you can listen to. There's French hip hop. There's Moroccan hip hop. Like that kind of stuff is super interesting. And I feel like the electronic music didn't quite make its way to the U.S. in the same way that it wasn't yeah. quite the same export that hip hop has been. It's yeah, that's interesting. Well, the thing that occurred to me too was I was trying to think of this feels very European just from playing a few seconds of it. To my mind, this you know this could only have been this couldn't have been created in America. And then I was sort of racking my brain. Correct me if I'm wrong, anyone. Of think to think of American electro, popular American electronic acts, and they like Fatboy Slim was kind of big around this time. I had a couple others in my mind. They're slipping my mind right now. But they they tend to have they're be like more bombastic, like more American in character, more out in front, more individualistic almost. This is very background, but in a purposeful way definitely so i kind of feel like a lot of it was dj influence too so like an electronic so to speak influence would come from sort of like mixing and mashups and things especially in the late 90s and early 2000s where this feels like original content to me in that way and then i imagine that if they're origins are in a rural community that what are they really influenced by so I don't know how far reach other genres of music or um, international competitors, so to speak, would have made it to them at that time. Yeah. Because it's kind of pre-social media. And so to me, it feels like original content in a way that similar things in the U.S. felt more like a hybrid a hybrid form pulling from many genres to create like a mashup kind of thing, which was really popular then. Man, U.S. is a melting pot, you know, as opposed to Europe, which is a little more insular. Yeah, and a little more sort of balkanized. I mean, to take that point a little further, I mean, what I'd say on this one, to take Kate's point a little further, what I'd say on this one is this doesn't feel like the funky drummer number, you know, 753. Sure. This is definitely, and by the way, I'm referring to a particular breakbeat there that's used like I, sort of ubiquitously. I know, kinda, but yeah. thank you for clarifying. Yeah, for yeah. Our just for the audience. Yeah. Yes. Um, is the is that the Amen? Is I that think, what they call yeah, it? Yeah, the amen? amen break. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's the Funky Drummers' song, um, but I'm not 100% sure. You know, off the top of my head, it's not like I'm you know that deep into it. But m- my point is that this doesn't feel like this is just recycled breakbeats and, you know, some kind of like layer of, you know, I'm putting my own imprimatur on the exact same thing that everybody else is doing this feels really organically made despite the fact that it is also a heavily produced electronic album 
Yes. And so I wasn't able to find as much as I would normally like, say, compared to researching Air's Moon Safari on exactly how this was made. But as far as I can tell, there are few to no samples on this record. I think this was mostly made in their living room with the keyboards and drum machines that they had and samplers that they had at hand. And you mentioned influences. I mean, not only is it not the American culture of constant recycling, but they're so rural they talked about that expressly, that they were really influenced by the natural setting, because that was their entire life, was just looking at green hills or being in darkness for half the year or whatever it was. And there were limited numbers of musical influences that actually even made it that far. So things like they, Jean-Michel Jarre was mentioned, Kraftwerk was mentioned, but they didn't get a ton of the newest and hottest club mixes through the 90s, maybe until they went south to the bigger city. So... They weren't listening to Prodigy. I don't, I don't know if Prodigy made it over there. It's not the bit, less said about them, the better, probably. I think Firestarter, right? That's the, like the joke about that one is that it's actually the name of the synth patch that they used on it. Is it really? I believe it is. Yeah. Oh man, where were you on that episode? Wow, <laughs> wow that makes a terrible thing even worse. It's really May awful. May I ask a question? Yes. I'm so, I apologize for not knowing this ahead of time. Where does this album fall in their oeuvre? Is this the first? Very, very first. first. This is the album? very first That's one. That's what I thought. Okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah, and they've more or less continued releasing records. It seemed like they have recently said they've made a final record, but it didn't seem overly final. They're still working together as a duo and collaborating with people, but this is the first one, and by all accounts, the one they're most known for. It reached kind of the farthest. So uh, speaking of that, let's let's get into a few reviews, because I think it's always interesting to hear what kind of people say about it, both in the moment and retrospectively, and then I'd love to have everyone comment on these reviews to see if you agree or disagree. One of our favorites, Robert Christgau of The Village Voice, says, chill out tends toward waiting room music, for plastic surgeons who really want you to order that butt implant. That's the kind of reviews he writes. Pitchfork says, the kind of down-tempo stuff that makes up the majority of Royksop's vocalist compositions just doesn't hold up to concentrated, repeated listens, like many other forms of instrumental electronic music. And later in that same review, Pitchfork called the album too beautiful to hate and too harmless to really love. What do you guys think? This is pretty much on the money for me in particular. Like I didn't hate this record at all. I also did not like listening to it five times. It was, I mean, it's, it definitely has a little bit of waiting room vibes. And I mean, that's just frankly, it's, yeah. it's it has, sort of it the waters they're swimming in actively. It's not, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I have to separate the idea that they're trying to make really chill background music, but they're also trying to elevate that genre a bit and i think they succeed on a few tracks and other ones feel completely forgettable to me i think it's kind of has this sense of that it's trying to kind of recreate euphoria in a certain sense where if anyone's done as many drugs as i did in my 20s that it can only kind of be appreciated in a certain type of setting and if there are big influences, nature and things like you can experience those kind of vibes out in nature or if you're on a bunch of drugs or if you've kind of been at some really awesome, you know, 
you're 22, you're at some big dance party for six hours and you get home with a couple friends and you're just chilling out. I think they're sort of trying to recreate that euphoric sense that as a stale listener or a sober listener or someone who's now 42 and teaching and all these other things, you can't kind of get into it in the same way that you might when you're 25 or 22 and experiencing those things in real life at the time, which I think makes harkens back to my comment earlier about it being nostalgic. It reminds me of this time when that type of music felt euphoric, but it doesn't hold up now that I'm in my 40s, I suppose. I will say, I feel like my... 20s euphoria was much more frenetic than I got from this album. This album felt mature in a way that, again, if I if you put this on for me when I was 23 and you're like, we're in the middle of a party and I'm going to put this on, I'd be like, what, what the hell is this? This is something my aunt would listen to. Like, give me something that's got a well, little bit more. Well, it's the after to party, it. to be fair, to what Kate was saying, right? It's the yeah. it's the late night show. But I, I, I still think you're making a point, though. No, no, no. I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with the point. I think that it maybe comes down to, again, the, uh, the influences, right? I didn't have the opportunity after a party to be like, oh, let's look at the billion-plus stars that you can see out in the middle of goddamn nowhere. I was like, let's go to 7-Eleven. I'm going to get a hot dog, and, you know, like, we're going to go and listen to Cypress Hill at somebody's house and, you know, party until 5 o'clock in the morning in a very East Coast frenetic way as opposed to this. It's very chilled out in a way that I don't think that I have ever lived in an environment that could produce that level of chill and have it even be genuine. Yeah, fair enough. And it could be an, it could be a nature thing as you're talking about too. But I, I in general though, I think that's it, you're hitting on one of the challenges Kate always with this stuff, which is how do you every music has some place where it's ideal and you can call up a good memory and if I'm listening to Bob Marley on a beach drinking champagne out of a coconut, it's you know, starting to sound pretty good, but does it hold up on my morning commute? Answer, no. <laughs> I would say for me, you know, the big thing with this is I'm in my mind, I'm thinking about Jean-Michel Jarre's Oxygen, which I just, I think is honestly maybe the best electronic, <laughs> electronic record ever made, mm-hmm. to be perfectly frank. And it has a real sense of sort of transcendence. It has a real sense of spirituality almost that I think is pretty lacking on this record. I mean, I think they reached for that. And you can feel them reaching for it, but they didn't quite ever grasp it. You know what's you know what I find is lacking as a quality specifically on this, and I, I'll point out some specific spots in songs is they don't have nearly enough patience to oh, let yeah. things develop. You know what I mean? And that's one of my big problems with kind of DJ club-driven electronica, where the beat drops, so then it's got to come back, and it's everything happens so fast. Where I think when you're listening to the I'm not as familiar with Jean-Michel Jarre as you are, but I've heard that record a few times. And another, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up another name who they're big fans of, Vangelis, or Vangelis. I'm not sure how you say his name. Vangelis. <laughs> right, the Greek mu- musician who is probably most famous for doing the Chariots of Fire theme, but he's a prolific electronic artist, and he's also in like a 60s prog band, right? Aphrodite's Child. 
they have a lot of patience, like to the point where I'm almost tearing my eyes out listening to these records. This one never really gave me a chance to even feel feel anything like that. No, it I got wasn't nowhere near loop. tearing my eyes out. Well, I feel like the part of what makes you tear your eyes out in a, in a overly patient band is you are waiting for them to come back to a thing that had hooked you earlier in the song. And this album had no hook in me ever. I was never pining for the thing that they did before that you can return to because oftentimes they never really changed away from the thing that they were doing before. And yeah, it was for as much that was objectively going on as many instruments and different sounds and different rhythms that were going on. It still didn't have a sense of fullness and a sense of cohesion that I that I, I they never dropped into something that I was like with maybe one or two exceptions that I was like oh wow I want more of this and if you deprive me of this I'm gonna really want this to come back and then when you bring it back I'll feel this sense of oh this is so great I didn't there was just wasn't a lot of that I feel like it, I felt, you know, something like the Jean-Michel Jarre album, I feel like it's telling a story from beginning to end. And it's kind of about producing music from the standpoint of a song versus the standpoint of an album. So for me, the album doesn't kind of carry me on this journey from beginning to end where I'm kind of enraptured in um, this story that they're telling each song is its own thing, and so there are a couple songs that sort of stick out to me more than others, possibly because I, I've heard them more often or something, but it doesn't have this kind of narrative quality that carries me through the album. I'm sort of starting over with each song, which I think is problematic, but it made me, that's why I asked earlier if this was their first album, because that makes a lot of sense for a first album, because you can get, I can see someone, you know, you get really stoked on this song that you think, oh man, I like, I landed it. This is really great. And then you have this like impetus to want to sort of recreate that feeling with each song. And so then you have 10 tracks or whatever it is of disparate songs without thinking of how they correlate to each other across the length of an entire album. That's a really that's a really great point about a first album versus a second effort where, you know, there's that old joke about have you you have a lifetime to write your first album and you have less than a year to write your second album and as saying it as a bad thing like you get this opportunity to write a collection of your best work over however many years that leads up to that first album and then very compressed time frame for your second album but that can lead to a cohesion of vision for the second album where you're really in the same mindset and you're really planning it out because you're thinking about it as a, as an album and not just a bunch of different works are dashing off. And those constraints can in fact help you in some sense as well. Totally. Well, I, I should also say too, we're, we're, comp we're complaining about it. I'm complaining about it anyway, but it is charming on some level. And I, I think we should segue into one of what I thought was one of the more charming songs. It's called Apple. And uh, let's play that now.
Okay, so what did you guys think about that song? I got I was excited when that song started. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I, was, I thought it was, you know, again, the touchstone on this record is production. I think it's, it's a great production. It has a really unusually simple theme, right? It's like more or less just like a rhythmic repetition of a single note or a single note and maybe a you know pitch bend or possibly a you know half step down or something. Right. And the entire th- the entire song is pretty much put together with studio trickery, and I think that it's kind of like, you know, it wouldn't hang together at all. It's a, honestly almost not a song, right? Like unless you have sort of the interesting stuff, the interplay with the delay, you know, this like sort of slow down and speed up of the delay, the like parts where it's just going through the delay, and then they're like changing the speed of the delay as it's like sort of going through the through the delay uh, with no no dry part coming out. Lots of reprocessing and processing the like lame melody until it's surprisingly hypnotic and effective. I thought it was a really nicely put together song overall, um, despite the fact that really there's almost nothing there, right? There's a beat and a bass line and pretty much nothing else. But it's a funky beat. There's a lot of rhythmic elements that work and interlock here that make it rhythmically interesting, I think fairly consistently. And you're right, usually what really annoys me, and in fact I even noted it on a few of the other tracks, is when you only wrote one melody for the song and you just hammer it the entire time. That usually bores the hell out of me, personally. But in this case, they do all that modulation that you just described, and it, it seems to kind of work for me. That did not work for me. I got bored with the song pretty quick. And it had a thing that is a, a hallmark, actually, of the album that we did, uh, I guess it was last week, uh, the Drive Like Jehu album, where... I like when bands write endings to songs and I feel like a lot of these are just, they just sort of peter out. And again, it feels like I like a beginning, a middle and an end. I want to be on a journey. It makes me feel like there's some progress and this felt like a beginning and then it still felt like a beginning. And then there was a little bit of a middle feel and then it just sort of ended. And I didn't, I didn't get to go along on that journey. And I understand a hundred percent James, what you were talking about that, from a production standpoint, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on there. I just wish that there was a part two. I wish there was a part two to the song. And I'm going to say that on a couple of different tracks. I wish there was a part two. <laughs> Coda. Fair enough. That's, that's the one. That's the, the watch word. Uh, well, I feel like it, it, does, it does this thing to me where the repetition, maybe it's now where I feel like I just don't have the patience sometimes, but I felt rewarded. Like when the change up kind of finally happens and it's not like blasting it in your face, it's like so subtle in many ways that it's almost makes it more rewarding to me where like that sustained listen, kind of like that patience, um, it's like borderline makes me nuts. But then just when I'm about to kind of like give up on it, this little change happens. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. And then I'm kind of like resetting and getting back into the song like each time that happens. And I feel like it's kind of a what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a it's a technique that they're using on multiple tracks. And I don't think that it's always successful. But here I think it's super successful. Even knowing the song, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that song, you know. Um, But even now, I still feel like, although my patience is a little bit, um, I I don't have as much patience now as I did when the album came out. I still feel like I'm being rewarded. I will say, you are right, that the change that they do, when it kind of goes into that descend about like a minute in, sort of, it's 
basically the same rhythm, but they sort of descended over some chords. That changes subtle. feel like subtle changes like that work for me the first time. They don't work for me the second time. They certainly don't work for me the third time. Like I need a little bit. If the change is going to be that subtle, I need there to be more going on additive to that change each time as opposed to just delivering me that same subtle change. Like the subtlety works as a trick one time for me personally. Do you feel that way about the song on its own or in the context of its placement within an album of songs that do a similar thing? I felt that way about the song on its own. In in addition to its placement in the album, I think it's early enough in the album that I'm not sick of that trick by this point. Um, I get a little sick of it more towards the end in an entire album listening experience. But even in the context of one song, I do feel Again, I just wanted a little bit more variety in the song towards the end. Subtlety is great, but subtlety works best when there is increasing complexity to the subtlety each time. And also, I mean, call me a basic bitch if you want, but I like singing and I like good melody. I like good melodic singing. And I just, you know. Okay. But, but so I should quantify or qualify that my comments were in the context of this record. That I like it. I like it for this record. I think it's one of the better tracks on this one. It's not gonna. I'm not adding it to my mixtape tonight. And one thing I want to mention: this is the only one where I could find, and we should get ready and play this one. Is it's based on? Apparently, it's based on a riff of some '70s song by a guy called Bob James. Oh, the song Bobby. is called "Your Right." <laughs> the song is called "Your Right Is Rain." But I listened to that song, and I couldn't discern a clear sampling effect. Maybe I just didn't have the patience to get through it. And by the way, before we play this song, if you think Royksop is waiting room music, wait till you get a load of Bob James. This is some, this is some piano jazz meant for an elevator, for sure. I wonder if I have some Bob James in my record collection. Let's play that. What did you guys think about that little snippet there? You know, it's like I'm literally in an elevator. I can imagine it being in, in you know, in enwrapping me in its its elevatory <laughs> arms. It's pretty smooth. It's pretty yeah. darn smooth. Yeah, yeah. When Mormons try to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe it's just me, but I feel like I'm maybe more capable than you guys of like just accepting <laughs> the zone that 
I'm in and like rolling with it. Like what choice do you have? You might as well just like roll yeah, you with might it. As, you, you might know? as well get and into that elevator. Get, yeah, yeah, dance yeah. it up in that elevator. I got do 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 do. Oh yeah. I got no real beef with that song. And by the way, that same composer composed the theme song to the TV show Taxi. Oh, it really? felt Bob it James. felt more like a weird sitcom type of yeah. musical interlude than it did elevator music. I mean, what me. I'm saying, I'm listening to that track. That guy's obviously, obviously super skilled. He's really good at what he's doing. I mean, he's definitely performing elevator music on purpose. That guy's not in any way confused as to what he's doing there. Agreed. And separately, that intro is really kind of beautiful. It really does. Le- it leads you right in there and leaves you in a nice spot to. Enjoy your elevator ride. <laughs> Wait, Rob, weren't you weren't you playing some jazzy keys earlier this evening? Yeah, well, he's definitely on an electronic electric keyboard. I don't know if it's a Wurlitzer. Or... It's a Wurlitzer, dude. Yeah, it sounded pretty tight, <laughs> which is what I was what you were referencing. What I was. Playing I'm sorry. That's like well. I'm. Ju- I'm just uh, in my mind. Um, you know, I'm I'm referencing my sound bank of the many different. You know, you got your Honer Pianet, you got your, uh, what's the other one? The Fender, Fender Rhodes. Oh, the Fender Rhodes. Oh, I love but that. that was, of those sounds, this is definitely a Wurlitzer. I, no doubt. I aspire to play like that. I'm sure we all do. I'm not, n- n- no diss to Bob. <laughs> I think what you mean is you aspire to be able to play like that, yes. but not actually play that. <laughs> I meant that it's a nice contrast to people who thought Roixop was a little low-key and boring. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Mm. You know, there's a there's it can a get huge, so much more boring. Listen, there's a there is a huge we all know there's a huge category of people we know them that don't care for jazz music or Steely Dan or anything, and they just think all that stuff is elevator music. They're clearly wrong, but this one they have a point. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so before we move on to the next song, I just one last thing this this song title Apple it's Apple in Norwegian. Just thought that was interesting, and apparently they took that from the Bob James album cover, which is like a weird hand dipped in gold holding an apple last thought is that Roixop and this is going to come up a couple more times they licensed this song to Apple which I think bodes well for Tom and I's Arby's project hell coming up. yeah it if does this is all you need to do <laughs> is just title songs for companies to pick yeah. them up Arb. and pay you Lord of the Beef Lands, baby. <laughs> Roixop has made significant money on commercials and, and with corporate licensing, so maybe that's their secret. Maybe they're laughing all the way to the bank. In any case, I'd like to move this thing right along and talk about the next song on our focus list. It is called Sparks. Let's play a little snippet of that. So for me, this was a standout favorite on the record. I mean, that said, I think a lot of that was because it felt like it had an actual arc. I think is it's maybe the only one that really felt like something was happening. At least there's sort of a narrative to it. 
you know, and that narrative is largely provided textually, literally by the vocalist. But I mean, there is something in there. And I just wanted to like, from my point of view, it was interesting that they, I feel like they did like a sort of like bandpass filter or something like that. Plus they have this like sampled, it sounds like sampled vinyl or something like that vinyl scratch, like just kind of like reading out over it, which gives you the sense that like the vocal is canned or otherwise sampled. I think it's in fact not. It said, I was sort of reading about this one and it looked like the vocals were provided by a singer, a Norwegian singer named Anneli Drecker. And it's kind of interesting to note that, you know, they actually like went to the trouble to actually get a vocalist and then yeah. sample it and put it back together. Well, and like I said, I think, I think almost all, if not all of this was not sampled, it was created. You know, they used, they brought in some vocalists and they, they did a lot of that stuff. I, I like this one okay. I see what you mean about the vocals providing some structure. And I will say the melody they wrote for the vocalist itself has a little bit of an arc and a resolution, which is nice. But it's not, it's, it's definitely not my favorite track. It sounded probably the most like Air to me, but this is not the version of Air that I particularly love. Just my personal opinion. Yeah, it's like B list Air. Yeah, it's like Sexy Boy Air mm-hmm. as opposed totally. to uh, Talisman Air for a deep cut there. Anyway, I like the bass tone on this one. I thought it was a nice, thick bass tone compared to all that other weird, purposeful keyboard sounding bass, 8 bit kind of bass. This felt like a real thick dick bass. It's my favorite plugin. Uh, the fact that they tried so hard to make the vocal sound old, it annoyed me. They probably recorded it through one of those old dynamic microphones, like you'd see the picture of, you know, the old crooners caressing as they're singing through it. And that that filter that they put on, the fake vinyl filter, it was very annoying. I did not like it at all. I I think that <sighs> It's it's unjustified, and I don't I don't like that particular approach to trying to shorthand to make your song sound old and classic, and I just don't I don't buy it. And the ma- the melody, I will admit that like the two lines that they wrote were pretty good, but I can't hear it again and again and again. Yeah. I need something it's else. It's not enough to carry the song. No, I would agree, but I was on a production level, and I think that's a good way to appreciate the album overall. And I'm always trying to find my, my personal opinion is I'm always trying to find a way to appreciate the records we bring up, even if they're not in my wheelhouse, even if they're not something I'm going to personally listen to a lot more times. And to me, listening on that production with that production ear is what's important here. And I think th- I thought the song was mixed nicely. I understand why some of those effects can be annoying. They're not my favorite, but they, you know, they're very purposely mixing like clean tone with static. No, I tone. totally get it. I don't like it. And I think that it works better on other parts in the album. Like, this song was the low point of the album for me, particularly. I did not Oh, like yeah, the song. low point's still coming for me. Okay, fair enough. This was, this was my low point. Specifically, if we go right to, like, the 330 mark and listen to that guitar that comes in, good Lord. It starts off, and I'm kind of like, oh, that's a little weird. And it's not quite in time, and it feels like it's almost not, like he's maybe giving a little too much and he's bending it a little bit out of tune on it. I was like, oh, maybe that's purposeful. And then it continues on, and I'm like, oh, you just can't play the guitar well? Or you're purposely trying to play the guitar really poorly, because it was it was bad.
I, I, the thing that cracks me up the most is the there's the time where he kind of flubs the note on that weird line that he's playing and then he gets completely thrown off and he can't <laughs> continue he can't complete the line he kind of just yeah. is like oh i'm just gonna improv for the rest of this line until it comes back around and I'm, i guess I, I must have zoned out because i missed those super pitchy notes it's I mean, real bad yeah it's, it's real pretty, bad. i agree yeah. I, yeah pretty terrible on on re-listen to that absolutely that is that is a really piss poor guitar solo and there's no excuse for that I think calling it a solo makes it worse, actually. I was hoping that they're thinking of it as a background The closest part. thing to a solo is when he messed up one note and got flustered and just decided to do a bunch of random shit until it came back around to the head. <laughs> Sorry, I've been over here trying to find the um, conjure up in my mind the name of that band that sings like, nobody loves me. Portishead. Oh, yeah, Portishead. Portishead. Thank you. So... Like, I feel like the vocalist in Portishead kind of has this quality also. I'm wondering when. Yeah, what's the timeline? What's the timeline there? Because. I mean, Portishead is definitely, and very much so, intentionally doing this thing where they're definitely actually spinning records and playing against that. And they have a live band sort of working in and out of the records, right? So they're like, their production technique is like really different and they're really centered on live vocalist who maybe sounds like she's mixed a little bit through a bandpass filter that's given you that like the old feeling right she's totally mixed a little bit for sure but i think that like you said her voice is being treated like an instrument in that context like she is a member of the band in that sense and maybe they are sort of thinking of her as a centerpiece whereas here i feel like they're almost trying to mimic that same sensibility, that sort of like dreamy whatever. But I kept thinking to myself, maybe in the same way that you did, Tom, what is her voice really like? And does it require all of this processing in order for us to buy it, kind of? Whereas I don't feel like that at all about Portishead. Like I buy that she kind of has that dreamy quality to her voice to begin with. Whereas this felt like they were trying to create something that just wasn't there. And it right. bothers I would, me. I would definitely be interested to see a timeline on Portishead. Portishead's first album is 94, Dummy. Portishead, their album, yeah. their They've definitely album, 97. Heard that record. So, oh, definitely. Yeah. Heard There's that just record. no Did they way. they make it to Tromso? Absolutely. Think, on tour? Without <laughs> a doubt. Tromso would have been step tour, number yeah. six on that yeah. tour or something. They would have I mean, gone. I c- <laughs> sorry. I was going to go like London, you know, Paris, Tromso, right? Right. Pretty much. That's true. Okay. All right. Let's let us let us keep it rolling here. Let's talk about the next track. And, what, and spoiler alert, what I think of as the low light piece of shit on this whole album. Whoa. Poor Lino. Ooh, poor Lino. Oh, it's controversial. <laughs> <laughs> it's another one where they wrote like basically two bars of melody and they're like that's all we need just have to do that that's pretty much all you write for songs right yeah that's this is how you do this (laughs) it's sort of hilarious to imagine them i lost my cursor here i'm sorry it's gonna be like get it together (laughs) your cursor he has like an iphone 5s what the fuck Boost I mean, Mobile, my, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, Boost <laughs> Mobile sent him notifications that his SIM card was no longer going to be like appropriate for the phone, and had to send him a new SIM card. 
It's an iPhone SE. Hold on, my cursor's in the wrong place. I gotta press Control F to find where I'm supposed to go. I didn't even know that curses existed outside of the BlackBerry. Are you like running Windows on that thing? Windows SE. It's one of the best. One of the best versions. You got a fucking stylus in that fucking phone case. <laughs> no, it actually it like forgot where it was in the record, and then I had to like go all the way back to the UI. I'm sorry about that. So I'm sorry. We were looking at poor Lino next. Mm-hmm. The piece of shit that Rob's so looking forward to listening to. <laughs> The song's trash. Can you elaborate? Yeah, happily. <laughs> Can Rob elaborate? <laughs> I hate everything about it. I hate the boring ass beat. I hate the boring ass kick in, the stock bass line, the vocal timbre auto tune situation, the suggestion that I'm supposed to think this is a song in quotes just because you wrote one two bar melody. And barely two snippets of lyric. The percussion breaks sound like you just dropped some pans in the kitchen and happened to have a microphone running. <laughs> that one's almost like straight out of Bjork. It's like, I hear it definitely a Bjork. This was, this was, for me, it was like total C-list Bjork yeah, song. C-list that, Bjork. You know, yeah, C-list Bjork fronted by some no-name. Yeah, from exactly. Bjork. Bjork is like, I'm not... I'm not singing over that. What the fuck is wrong with you? No, I'm not singing over that. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> we'll go back to the How studio. How about this guy Bjork? from Kings of Convenience? Maybe we can auto-tune the <laughs> shit out of him over this track. <laughs> Rob, would you feel differently about it if you were in an elevator? <laughs> if you were stuck listening to this, uh, would you be oh, happy yeah. or sad? I'd want to kill. <laughs> going to say, did that elevator's cable snap and am I plunging to my death? Because then I might be like, okay, all right. <laughs> It's about Poor right. Lino. <laughs> That's like the last thing you hear. I do have a positive note. It's under four minutes. So credit to them for not letting this, <laughs> not letting this train wreck for too long. Travesty continue for an extended period of time. No, you know, you know what it reminded me of? And I'm sure every electronic musician has some story like this. But I'll never forget our old friend. Oh, God. Who's, he's nuts in a lot of ways, of course. But... Remember when he got deep into sampling, and we we like saw him one time at a bar, and he was telling us about hitting a toaster with a spoon and recording it, and just being really excited about that. He went oh, on yeah. for fifteen minutes. I, re- just I that. remember he was just like he would play the song and name every single thing. Like that's a door hinge, that's a corner <laughs> I rolled across the table. <laughs> and it sounded really like he's an extraordinarily talented musician, so it sounded pretty good, like cohesive but it was still not music it was it was like the creaks of an old fucking house and like a drunk person stumbling around a kitchen basically yeah but he said it with such exuberance 
Right. Exuberance would have been nice for this album. Didn't have a lot of exuberance. This song is very... The delivery of that vocal line, he sounds bored. Like, he sounds bored delivering it, and I was very bored hearing oh, it. Oh, yeah. It's like the SCTV Perry Como tour where he's lying down yeah. for the entire tour. Like, I'm not dead yet tour or whatever. I will say one nice thing. That electric piano that comes in that like... I like that. That was a good electric piano. It's like, this is good. That's cool. But then, of course, it was like it doesn't carry a song. I'm not going to listen to four more minutes of this and be happy. It feels like it's trying to be really slick. Like, I feel like someone commissioned them to make music for a high-end car commercial. Yeah. Um, and so it feels, like, familiar in this way. Like, I'm not so appalled by it that it's, like, some shitty thing because it feels like something I've heard a million times in that kind of context. So because of that sort of, like, familiarity, I'm like, all right, whatever, I'll roll with this. But I feel like it's, like... Yeah, it's a soundtrack to like an advertisement. The Fila Ultra, brought to you by Poor Lino. <laughs> also, is it Poor Lino, like poor, poor versus rich Lino. Lino, as in the name Lino? Correct. I totally thought it was like some... Uh, <laughs> like an Italian I thought it was like a move. Norwegian word or something. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, Poor Lino. And now that I know... Yeah, right. It's now like that I know that it's... Poor Lino, it just makes it even worse. I'm like, what the? Is he saying about this? Who's Lino? Why do we care? Jay Leno. My notes. That maybe he wasn't going to get the late night gig, and he wrote a song about it. My notes on this one: a low key banger in the style of toss a coin to your Witcher. Oh, oh. <laughs> well. toss a coin to your Witcher. <laughs> do you even way know? Way more that? complex. It's <laughs> a way better, better song. Way better song. <laughs> I watch. <laughs> I barely watched that Witcher series. Okay, we barely watched it. One hundred percent in my head. Yeah. We have literally had toss approximately twenty-seven in, in hours. Four years, of I'll be like, "What about Porlino?" And you'd be about like, two hours Porlino. of Witcher. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> No. The only reason I would be able to say that is because they just do it so goddamn much. It's like repetition does not make it interesting. Okay, let's move it right along. Next song I want to listen to is called Remind Me. This is their hit. This, this is the biggest is hit. This is how you remind me. It's, thankfully. <laughs> thankfully. I'm, thank you for putting it in context, Tom, because I'm <laughs> much more happy to listen to this song than that piece of shit. It was ironic, of course, that Kate just mentioned the car commercial because this was their biggest hit because it was in a Geico commercial, a famous Geico campaign with the cavemen. So simple a caveman could use this. They made a ton of money on this track. And this is the one with the Kings of Convenience singer on it. Erland Oye. The last one was Erland Oye, too. Poor Lino. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right to me. I think so. Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah, but, well, this, just is, but this sounds auto-tune. like his real, un- slightly unadulterated voice. Yeah, to yeah. Me, this then, is this is definitely full on Kings of Convenience, backed by a weird electronica band. <laughs> okay, 
I do like, you know, I like the bass tone of this. Okay. It's, it's an interesting choice. It's, it's definitely not my, my lane, but I see why this is at least a single. I see why this was chosen for a car commercial, as you mentioned. And at least there's a melody that's more than two bars that goes on for some amount of time. Definitely not going to go on my mixtape again, but I kind of get it. Tom? No, this is perfect commercial fodder because I could handle about 30 seconds of it. I have, again, the same problem. They have that melody, and it's a nice melody. And they sing it once, and then they play that exact same melody on an instrument, and then they sing that exact same melody again. Yeah. And you haven't earned it. You haven't earned the instrumental playthrough of the melody after one time Th- through. So that, 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 that speaks to the, the grander problem that I have with a lot of music like this, which is what is the threshold for what counts as a song? Is it just four minutes of music, whatever that means? Like, no, I don't think that counts. I think there have to be parts to it. And Tom, you mentioned earlier, it has to have a beginning, middle, and an end. But I, I, I feel less strongly about the beginning, middle, and the end aspect of song structure. But I do feel like there have to be a couple, there have to be some kind of narrative arc, whether that's accomplished through changes or whether it's accomplished through a single change. I'm open, right? But it just doesn't feel like they have the same idea. It's certainly not the same idea about song. Yeah, you have to make me feel like you've earned my attention throughout a song. And sorry about that. It's okay. A song that I will. Uh, that I will. Are you fucking kidding me? God damn it! <laughs> and it's like so Move earnest. Your <laughs> you look at it. You just want to be like, is he being a fucking dick? But he's not. Oh, he's no. he's just so earnest. Like oh shit. Shit. I can't control these things. This is my whole job. That's all I got. You're a fucking computer programmer. I, I, I program these things to do this. I can't use them. It's okay. Okay. I, know. <laughs> I want to bring up a song. Are you fu- That was bullshit. Shut the fuck up. Now I'm just fucking with That was good. That was good. No, I want I want to bring up a song that has what we have talked about previously with the the concept of do you have one part that has just one change and it makes you really feel it or do you have a lot of complex changes? This song feels like it's kind of one part and it's sort of one part the entire time and if they had just used the device of having one decisive change in it, it could have really worked. And the song I want to compare it to in terms of something that does it very well is that song uh, Someone to Love Me by Solomon Burke. It's just two chords the whole time, and all he's doing is just laying into these two chords, kind of vamping on the same rhythm, and then they break to that, like, I finally, 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 finally. It's basically the blues change that you have been wanting to have that entire time, and it destroys, like, just that, and that's the only time they do it. They do it that one time, and it goes back into it, and you're like, oh, now I'm falling back into something, and I feel relief that I'm back into it. I feel great that I'm back into it. I'm settling back into it. This tucks you into bed the second you get into the song, and then it doesn't ever disturb you and make you earn getting back into that bed. You never have to get out of a comfort zone, and that's frankly what I find to be oddly offensive about this kind of music is it's sort of... You've given me this one thing and expect me to be satisfied with it for five minutes. And I'm not satisfied with it for five minutes. I need more. I just need more. It feels like I'm getting into the bath and it's really great music while I'm taking a bath. And by the time I'm done, the song's done. I'm not 
frustrated by it. Sure, just quick rinse off, you know. I got shit to do. (laughs) But I feel like it's it's kind of this pleasant, sort of like buoyant thing. Like, I mean, I'm not saying a bath because I'm taking a five minute bath necessarily, but it's also has this kind of light buoyancy. I just like get in, I kind of do my thing. It's pleasant. I'm fine with that. And then I get out and like move to the next thing. Like I'm kind of, it doesn't sort of drive me in and of itself to this like point of like irritability or something in the same way. But I feel like it, in the context of the whole album, I found it really frustrating for, for the reason I was talking about earlier in terms of the arc of like a narrative arc of an album. But if this song came on in a mix of other songs by other bands, like I'm fine with it. Yeah, I, I hear that. I definitely hear that. It's generally, yeah, inoffensive. And I see why this is used. This could be used in a movie soundtrack or a commercial or a lot of this stuff could be. It's feels it's designed that way. James, what do you My want to say? My commentary is, Erland Oye is so familiar. It's like hanging out in a fancy sneaker store with the kings of convenience. That's that's my you're really opinion. on the sneaker. Do you I mean, dude, this is high and no, this one just felt like it's like you can smell that like weird, like off gassing smell. It's like you can smell it while you're listening to the music, you know? It's like you can smell this like weird, like it's like, oh, like a weird factory in like, you know, like Lowlands, China, you know, and you're getting that like weird, like off gassing, like like sort of burning your throat type of thing. But it's like kind of muted now, but we're in a mall. Is like is mainly the you know, that's the the feeling I get. I want to blow your mind here, James. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> James has been wearing the same pair of Crocs for True. the last three and yeah, a half like, years wow, plus. Outed. Sneaker <laughs> outed. Yeah, yes, right. I know. I yeah. do. I love sneakers. No, I don't like sneakers at all. But I've been in a sneaker store at least once. I have done that. Okay, we believe you. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the last song on our list: Royk Sops Night Out. If you can find it in your heart to play that one, Jimmy. It's the best song. Agreed. Or, oh, the best song on the album. Agreed. The reason it is the best song on the album is that it has a chordal center change. Everything else feels so like there. You could just play one note throughout the entire song and it would fit the entire time. Like the chordal center never really changes on any of the other music. This is the one that has like a chordal center change. Agreed. And it makes you, it's the only thing on this record that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable or uneasy. And I, I like that. And it's because of that chordal change, because of that chromatic change. They're just modulating a half step in either direction, yep. which means you basically can't keep any of the same notes. Yeah. And it's so it's a very welcome change for me from, again, what I felt like I could vamp over. And I'm a terrible piano player, but I felt like I could vamp piano over the those songs and it would all kind of sound pretty good for most of the album. This is the one that felt like it would be a little bit challenging. And... It's also the one that, oddly enough for me, felt the most organic, even though it is still highly electronic like all the other stuff. And I know there was 
actual real bass on some of the other songs as well, which, by the way, it's like shorthand to make your electronic song sound organic. It's just put real bass in. Everything else could be fake, and it's just real bass that makes it sound organic because bass is the goddamn best instrument but like unbiased opinion folks and i I just should say as we're sitting in this room surrounded by nothing but synthesizers and a single bass (laughs) (laughs) there's a reason for that yeah that it gave it this sort of feel that was a little bit more i don't know it felt more songy to me i don't know why it just felt more like a song than the other quote unquote songs on the album can you say something about the album from an emotive perspective? I didn't emote at all on this album. There, it felt like um, these dudes seem like they're probably the most goddamn chill people. They kind of like, uh, you know, what's the John Mulaney line? You know, I felt like I could spill soup in their lap and they'd apologize to me. Like they don't seem like they have a lot of passion. This is the one song they gave me. And uh, listen, they're passionate people. Clearly, you cannot make an album of any type that without being passionate for the project. But I didn't, I don't get a lot of belly fire from these guys. This is the one song that gave me a little bit of the sense that they got a little bit of belly fire behind this song. And when they called it their night out, I did actually picture this as like them going out and like getting shit faced with a bunch of reindeer in the woods and then coming back in and writing the song, you know? Yeah. I would have to agree with that take overall that the whole record did not make me feel a lot of emotions it kind of just rolled off my back. It's just sort of inoffensive. It didn't intercept my thought patterns when I was listening to it while I was working, for instance. At least not very often. But this track gave me a little of that that throb, that that uneasy feeling, like I mentioned. And it's defining, orally defining, a universe that looks and feels a lot different than those other songs. This sounds more like a James Bond kind of soundtrack. And I, I like that. I'd rather I'd rather live in that world, and I'd rather watch that movie, so to speak, or watch that car commercial, even if it has to be a car commercial. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Rob the active listening ability. Like, not even when I was working, when I was trying to take notes on some of these songs, I kept having to go back and be like, I just zoned out for the last like forty five seconds. Did anything happen? And then I'd go back forty five seconds, feel like, oh no, nothing actually happened. Okay. Maybe it wasn't me zoning out. Maybe it was just my mind being like, I don't need extraneous information. I'm just going to, you know, filter that out like your nose and your vision. It just constantly filters it out because you don't need to see it. My notes on the song so easy were, I mean, this goes down so easy that I had to listen to it a few times before I could muster up a comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I in, a, in some ways, I think I listen to these tracks more than... I commonly would in a given week, but it was partly because of the phenomenon you just described, Tom, that they kept kind of passing me by as I was either walking around or in the car even or while I was on my laptop working. So, yeah, this one this one stood out. I wanted to call out a, another specific spot in the song, if that was all right, if we can get our if we can get our iPhone ready here. And this is a this is half of a compliment, half of a complaint. It happens around 6.30 in the song where they kind of drop into a Pink Floyd Echo God section. Damn it, Rob, the exact same thing. <laughs> which I'm like, hell yeah, dude. I got really excited. Now, I should be clear, they do not have anything approaching the Pink Floydian patience to let that part develop a la Echoes.
Okay, so even though it doesn't go as, as long and build as much tension as aforementioned Pink Floyd Echoes, one of the greatest tracks of all time, say nothing about that and its length, Tom, how dare you? I still, I really loved it because it felt like the, then the kickback in was well-earned. Even in that relatively short amount of time, I was like, hell yeah. I, dis- I disagree that the kick-in was well-earned. I-, I timed it out that there was like 10 seconds of no bass being audible. Because they sort of they drop the bass line down. You can hear it sort of dropping off in the background. They're, they're pulling it down in the mix. And then there's 10 seconds of no bass being audible before it comes back in. And I, you have not earned a kick-in for 10 seconds. Give me more credit as a listener. I have a little bit more patience than that. I had been worn down throughout the record, as I guess is what I'm trying to say. Fair point. <laughs> Overall, I mean, I guess my, my thinking on this particular one is this felt more like Lalo Schifrin, you know, as this is feeling like definitely more of like a Hell mid-60s yeah, Bond movie, something like that, you know, and the an international man of mystery going out and maybe scoring some drugs or maybe a nice night with a lady. That's a nice long jam. It's kind of like my overall feeling with it. And yeah, I think they they do get to somewhere. They get somewhere outside of the sort of frame of reference for the song for a few seconds. And I think that that did definitely make an impression on me. Like it was, they went somewhere with it. I definitely was not like, wow, that was, holy crap, what an experience. You know, it was more like a, oh my, that was easy to miss. We went somewhere there. Yeah, I hear you. Kate, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's like a contrast to the rest of the album in many ways for me. So it, it had me sort of reassessing what I think about the rest of the album. I think there's something to be said, just to, just to give it some more credit than maybe it's been given. I think there's something to be said for this kind of dependent, dependable consistency where I think it was you, Rob, that said, like, I can walk away for four minutes and I come back and I'm still right there, which I can also find that frustrating and maybe it's because I'm, you know, I'm a visual artist and I spend a lot of time alone in my studio where sometimes I want to listen to music that um, I can just kind of tune out. It's enough of an experience for me to feel like I'm centered in a space, but I'm not so absorbed in it that I can't do something else. So for me, like this album seems like it would be a good fit if I were to sort of reintroduce it into my library for that type of vibe. But this track, I feel like would take me out of that. But as a standalone track on its own, I think it's really successful. Awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of the album. And now all that remains, well, actually two things remain, but one thing in particular that remains is to vote Go around the room and vote. And what we'd like to hear your vote on is, does Royxop's Melody AM belong on the list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die? And why? James. Yeah, I'm happy to start this one off. For me, this is not an essential record. This is is a good record. It's a good record. It's a fine outing on the part of the producers, on the part of the musicians. Everybody involved with this did a pretty good job, uh, you know, barring that guitar solo. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that said, I really felt like it. I didn't. I didn't feel wronged in any way by listening to this record. Sure. You know, it's no BG's Trafalgar. By the same token, you know, it's it's definitely not. It's definitely not the dark side of the moon, or you know, or Jean Michel Jarre's Oxygen. A, a fine record, not an essential record. I agree, not an essential record. 
I was trying to come up with why I feel that way. I'm not sure that I have anything concrete that's not kind of raunchy. <laughs> so raunchy. Um, I feel like I would never masturbate to this record. Ooh, no. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I mean, I can listen to music of all kind of genres and kind of if I'm super into it and if it's making like the top 1,000 whatever records of all time, like I can get into a personal space where I disappear and would fucking whack off to it. I'm not doing that to this right. record. There, green, there, are, yes, there are other records note. in a similar, and even in an anger, I can listen to some like hardcore kind of, you know, whatever rock record and still get into it in this different way. But this is a sort of lacks any kind of like passion or connection in that way. It's like a nice feeling. I can get a little nostalgic about it. But it's not essential for sure. Friend zone. That's a record. Friend zone. That, record. that is a metric we haven't heard yet. Tom, <laughs> you want to comment on that? I also would not masturbate to this album. <laughs> and that says something. Um, <laughs> nah, this is not an album one must hear before one dies. You know, it, it was mentioned a couple of times. Kate, you mentioned it. Rob, you mentioned it. I put it on when I was working. And it didn't bump me out of my work zone. Right. There's Music to work million, by. There's a million albums I could do that for you. Is there anything special about this? No. Is there anything groundbreaking about this? No. Does this sound, again, like Bjork's rejected seasides? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I can't, I can't put my stamp on one must hear this before one dies. I didn't want to hear this. I'd listened to it several times. I didn't need I, to hear this one before I died. But here's the thing. You asked me in a week describe Melody AM to like, me. Oh, and I'm going to be like, Ugh. oh, it's kind of long. There was that one song at the end that was kind of <laughs> cool that they brought the kick in back in too fast. That's about all I'm going to be able to give to you. <laughs> I see. Well, I'm going to go ahead and make it a unanimous no vote. Inessential. Agreed. Didn't hate it. Didn't really feel anything about it. And I think I would just echo all the sentiments that were already brought to the fore which is there's there's a certain remove that you can hear in the creation of this album. And while I agree that any artist must be passionate to even complete a project like this, a lot of the composition feels way too tossed off to me. And I have to, I know enough about how these things work to think that a lot of it was probably produced that way. I don't think this was poured over and passion, lots of uh, excessive passion was poured into it. That's just not the impression I get. I'm sure they had a lot of fun, but uh, it's not for me. And I don't think, unless you're an electronic connoisseur and you really want to understand every step in this journey, I don't think it's that pertinent to your musical journey. So, sorry, Royksop. Sorry about that. I guess it's 30 days of night for you. You shan't be on the list anymore. Gabors. 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 Actually, can't remember, but I do remember that my. I believe that is Norwegian. It is Norwegian, but I can't remember what it means. It I means shut get up. Out. Yeah, <laughs> get out. Get out. Okay. For some reason, my parents had a little Norwegian phrase book when I was a kid, and James <laughs> and I found it. We got very excited about it. That was the one thing I remember. I'm glad you clarified that. I thought it was like I'm sorry or something like well, that. I think we used to shout "Gabbort" at each other because we thought it was funny. <laughs> that was the one thing we took from Gabbort. <laughs> My parents have never... Sounds like Klingon. (laughs) I was just going to say that. (laughs) Okay. So now that we've wrapped up Royksop's Melody AM, Tom, the only thing that remains is to tell us to spin that, spin up that machine of yours and and tell us what we're going to be doing next week. 
I'm sure it's going to be some Nor- Norwegian black metal. Let's uh, stay on the continent. Really the offset us. Spin the old Albinator and uh, find out what we're going to do for next week. So, drum roll, please. Next week, we will be listening to... You don't need to do the sound effect. We have an actual drum. Sound like uh, Lou Gossett Jr. from Enemy Mind. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. That was a badass sound effect. Who cares? Oh, John Martin is the artist. <laughs> and Sounds like a big upgrade. Air is the oh. album. That oh, is a, James, that is you like a, strong opinions. I, no, right? I, I've never heard this record, s- but I guarantee that it is the kind of thing that you would pull out of a bin at a thrift <laughs> store and put right back. Wow. This is a Man, I'm, to- I'm definitely going to listen to this record. 100%. John, the, John Martin. Air? By the way, John Martin is spelled with a Y. Oh, of course yeah. it is. Jesus Christ. It's like a guy with no this shirt. He's got like a. Favorite he's record. got like. like weirdly tight pants no shirt the background is white right and then like he's got too long hair and right. then like and then he's 80s, like he's like thinking? he's kind of like reaching out like for the jazz that's what i imagine reaching oh. out for the jazz <laughs> okay well that sounds, sounds like it's gonna be another fun week can you kick that albinator or something and make it do, turn out some uh, more so exciting excited. albums for us okay we're gonna get some 70 shit going on it's been a lovely conversation with y'all. We're going to wrap it up here. Oh, poorly now. Thank you for staying with us for the extended, for, for this long. We we love you all. Please, if you agree with us, if you think we don't know anything about Royksop or Norwegian, Northern Norwegian electronic music scene, please do let us dude, know. Dude, we get some Scandinavian play, all right? We, we might do. actually get some uh, some some Scanda- thoughtful responses. Scandos love us. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And uh, so please, and, please, and please write to don't us. don't gobbort. <laughs> Scando. So please write to us at 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. That's 1001, the number, albumcomplaints at gmail.com. You can go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. It all helps us out. And, of course, we'll compile a quick playlist for you of all the other random songs we mentioned and put it in the notes there for you to know what the heck we're talking about. For the show, I've been Rob. I've been Tom. Kate and James Boosh.